Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. It's good to have Pastor Ham back, isn't it? Amen. Great to have you. What a consolation to have you back camp and uh, you look really browned off. <laughs> you look nice and brown. You look really well rested and uh, praise the Lord. Good morning, everybody. And I'm delighted you're here this morning. I know it's a beautiful day and you would have been tempted to head off early to the beach, but you're here. And that says something of you. Amen. It says uh, that your priorities are in the right place. And I believe the Lord does indeed want to speak to us today. I have a sad announcement to make. Many of you would have already known um, about the passing of Pastor Jim McConnell. Uh, Jim McConnell was the founding pastor of Whitewell Metropolitan Tabernacle in Whitewell, Belfast. And uh, he went to be with the Lord Saturday morning at 10 minutes past 8 in the morning, 84 years old. He was the pioneering pastor and serving pastor for many, many years, became the general overseer of the church fondly referred to as bishop i had some um, uh, lovely times with him i used to tell him i outranked him he looked at me at 84 years of age looking at me i said you're only a bishop i said i'm an archbishop <laughs> he'd laugh and, uh, but a powerful powerful man of god that i would like just to pay tribute to this morning because there's very few men like him in our in our nation at one stage had the largest evangelical Christian church in the, in the entire British Isles, including, if you want, we won't put Ireland there for the Republican people, but the British Isles and Ireland but had over 4,000 people at one time attended Whitewell Church. And uh, the man packed the Odyssey on a number of occasions. Uh, the King's Hall for two weeks solid packed thousands upon thousands of souls coming to hear the gospel. He booked a, a local football field, held 22,000 people. For two weeks, people came to hear the gospel. And thousands upon thousands of souls got saved under that man's ministry. The gospel was expanded, set up missionary uh, adventures in Kenya and uh, in other parts of Africa, which were very dear to his heart, orphanages, and sent up missionaries all over the world. And he was, towards the end of his life, he and I, we found each other late in, in our ministries. And, but uh, he was a great inspiration and a great friend to me. And uh, I loved him like a very dear friend and like a father in the faith. Even though I didn't have a lot of mentoring by him, I felt that we were kind of twinned. We were similar types of personalities. Uh, he's a very much a spade, a spade, you know, a shovel is a shovel. <laughs> he's direct. And uh, for those of you that are part of Coward Church, you know, you're unfortunately for good or bad, your dear old pastor is something similar. But uh, we would have some really lovely engagements in our home and uh, when you come down here visiting. And uh, it's, uh, I was with him a week ago at the hospital, the Royal Hospital in Belfast. And uh, I spent an hour with him. We prayed. He, he was chatting away as if he was telling me he was going to come to the summer for our conference. And, you know, we're planning to do something in October in Dublin, possibly. And he was going to be at that. And... Uh, uh, he wasn't, <laughs> he's the sort of man that, you know, in his mind, he will never die, you know, and uh, I was saying to Andy that, you know, that when I was with him, that he had no, no intentions of dying, you know, he just no intentions of it. it. A man like him doesn't accomplish what he did by just kind of saying, I'm sick, I'm going to die. It's to the very end of his life, he's, he's fighting, you know, he's, uh, and, uh, and Andy said something very cute, is that sometimes God has to force you off the battlefield, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and that's true, you know, you can, get, you can become, uh, you, can, you can just become so focused there, 
that God says, no, no, I want you in heaven now. You've done a great job. You've run the race. You've fought the fight, kept the faith. And uh, I, I was mourning him in spirit because uh, he did ask me to spend a week with him at the start of last year to come up to Belfast in his home, spend a week with him. His wife is, is, um, is suffering dementia and she's in an old folks home for a long time. You know, he, he never missed a day to see her when she was he called every single day, sometimes twice a day to see her in the, the nursing home. And, um, and I didn't get that opportunity to go. I, I, you know, COVID hit us and I felt a little bit robbed because I'm thinking, man, what an awesome week to spend with a man that have I believe he shared his testimony with one that he had a visitation from an angel. And I believe that. I'm not into, into sort of mystical sort of encounters. But he was a man that moved into supernatural. He was a man that had great um, wisdom beyond his natural learning. He, he didn't have any major education. Uh, he was an orphan. Uh, he was on the streets of Belfast from sun up to sun, sundown. Where he, the way they looked after kids back then, you just roamed the streets. And they give you shelter in the evening. And he was 12 years old and a local chip shop man. And felt sorry for him and fed him fish and chips every day. You know, and that's how the boy, you know, eventually got a bit of a job working in Harland and Wolf. Worked on the Titanic, would you believe it, of all things. He was a, one of these, uh, uh, you know, bellboys that brings messages to the different areas of the, of, of the project. So he, he worked there. His name is actually, if you go to the Titanic experience in Belfast, his name is actually there as one of the workers. And uh, God used him there. He got wonderfully saved and became a tenacious man of God. Preached the gospel, a uh, fiery preacher, an honest preacher, a uh, good man, and a man that we will all, those of us who know him, will really dearly, dearly miss him. But to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. And so we want to rejoice with a life that's been well lived. I want to tell you, well lived. Amen. He's done, he's run his race. He's, he's done it, friends. He's there. He's at the other side. He's in his rest. Uh, you know, we struggle and he's in bliss. And uh, one day we'll be in bliss as well. Amen. So our struggle is only for a momentary period in time. I look at my own life and I can't, when there's less road in front than there is behind, you know. And I can't believe where the time has gone. And, you know, there'll be a time for all of us, friends. But between now and then, let it be said of us also that we would take inspiration from men of Jim, like Jim McConnell to live 150% for God, for the glory of God and for the souls of men. He was all about souls, all about the souls, you know. And would always preach salvation, would always give men and women the opportunity to respond to the gospel because he knew it was the power of God unto salvation for everybody that would believe. And that's the gospel you and I preach to, friends. There's no other message. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. But at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise his wonderful name. Thank you, Jim McConnell, for a wonderful example Thank you, Pastor David Purse and all the Whitewell brethren that are there this morning. Morning, but we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Amen. We have a different morning. We're just going to miss you, Pastor Jim. But I was saying to Catherine, we, we, we headed off for a couple of hours yesterday morning, and I was saying, I hope one of the first stops he makes is to have a chat with my dad, and that maybe he can bring him news of earth, that you know, his son and family is doing well. Amen. I'm not one of those who subscribe to that when you get to heaven, you forget everything, everything on earth. I don't think that's even vaguely, remotely true. If you were to forget everything on earth, how could you ever remember what you were saved from? Do you ever think about that? 
How could you ever thank God for saving you from something that I don't remember? Amen. <laughs> I just want to say that. But there's the thing about it is that God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. So even the past and the former failures will have no ability to hurt us. Amen. No ability to pull us down. No ability to make us depressed like they can do at times now. Because we are so much in the victory and in the light. We will look back at the past and say, what a friend we had in Jesus and have in Jesus. And what many dangerous toys and snares we have passed through. And now we can eternally worship him with true openness of heart, thanking him for what he has done in our lives for us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Good morning to you. Uh, just to let you know as well, we are having terrific times on Thursday mornings in my office. I have a bunch of people that come in to do Bible study with me on a Thursday morning. and We're opening up to other people. We can go into a bigger room, but I am loving the company of these people. They're on fire for the Lord. They're lo- they're, we're just discussional Bible studies, talking about the things of God. And it's just for me as a minister, just to see the passion. The passion in the, in the rise. They're just waving at me here because we're going to let the kids go to Sunday school. Amen. Pastor Ham didn't do his job. Uh, he's still in holiday mood. So if you're a kid here this morning, uh, you can go to the Sunday schools. You've got workers downstairs. I'm going to look after you. Amen. There's not a lot of kids and a lot of people out. Pray for our team. And, sorry. So concluding to that, if you're here, you're a young Christian, you'd like to come involved on a Thursday morning, 12 o'clock in my office. And uh, join with a half a dozen other people or so. And just to talk about the things of God, it will be a great experience. I just want to extend that invitation to you as well today. Because we have baptisms again coming up. Uh, we have more for baptisms. We have another five candidates for baptism and growing. If you missed the last baptism class, you want to go through the waters of baptism to honor the Lord. We just reach out to any of the leaders, the ushers, fill out a baptism form, send it in to us. And uh, that's going to be happening on August the 30th, I think. It is August. It's the 1st August. I think it's the 30th of August, is the 30th of July or the 1st of August, something like that. It's a Sunday, anyhow. So keep a watch for that as well. And uh, we would love to see you go through and honor the Lord in, in water baptism. Praise God. I had one other thing I wanted to share. You know, you get old, you start forgetting these things. Amen. My mom says, Stop saying you're old. You're not old yet, you know. Praise the Lord. Amen. If it comes to me, I'll, I'll get back to you. This morning, I want you to turn, if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6, it's a fabulous, fabulous account. Uh, the time in Israel, for those who are new to the faith, those who may be watching that are on a faith journey, don't know a lot about your Bible, this portion of readings in the Old Testament of the Bible, it is a part, it, it is, a, it is a, a part of the life of Israel as a nation. It's a fledgling nation, it's a young nation. It has now come into its, its own land that God had given to it into the land of Canaan. It had come through some terrible darknesses. Again, for you to know the story, God calls a man Abraham. He gives him a promise. He says he's going to give him offspring. He's going to make him into a nation. And out of him, all the nations, he's going to give him a homeland. And out of that land, the whole nations of the world will be blessed. That's the story narrative of the Bible, the plan of salvation. So where we are right now is that Israel has been formed as a nation. They were in darkness, bondage for nearly 500 years in Egypt. They were brought out by Moses. They've been brought into a promised land by Joshua. And now they're being ruled. They're in their promised land. And uh, their nation is taking hold of the land. And they're being ruled by judges. Now, the judges were unelected, um, um, unelected by people, non-democratic leaders. They were, th- they were people that were, that were accosted by God, you could say. People that were anointed by God to rule over the people. It wasn't some sort of hierarchy of um, families, uh, so, some sort of dynasty. It was no dynasty. 
It was that God would, would anoint people. The Holy Spirit would come upon them. The people would see the visible anointing of God, and they judged Israel. The word for judge is Elohim, actually. It's, a, it's another word for God. So in other words, they were looked upon as being a type of rule of God among the people. And there was 15 of them in total. And those judges, really, you must remember that society as we know today hasn't always been like this. We had to morph into our societies. We had to grow through many pearls and difficulties and tremendous difficulties. Israel, the same, had to grow into nationhood, had to go into its understanding of God. But the history of Israel is very similar to us as, a, as individuals. Israel had known a, a, a tremendous deliverance out of darkness, brought into a promised land, into a promised life with God, where God was going to minister directly in their midst to them, protect and be with them. There were his people, his hand was upon them, and greater was still to come. They didn't understand what the greater was yet, but Israel vacillated all the time because it constantly backslid. You know, when the Bible talks about us being sheep, it's not being complimentary, I, I want to tell you. I know sheep are lovely, they're fluffy, and they're really nice, but they're also very, very dumb, and they're also very prone to stray and get themselves into all forms of difficulty. So they're a little bit on the low brain level and a little bit easy to wander off and get themselves into all forms of trouble. And so and Israel was like that. Israel constantly moved away from the worship of God and back into the the gods of the region, the, the Amorite gods and, and the Midianite gods and the Canaanite gods, and they would start worshiping the created things. And, and as a result of that, God would send judgment upon them because that was the relationship they were in with him. They were in a covenant relationship. They agreed to the covenant that they would worship God wholeheartedly, keep his commandments, you know, and then, and then out of there, God would fight their enemy. And so God had adopted them as his people, the people of God, and through them, as I said, the greatest story that was ever told, that could ever be told, Jesus Christ comes into the world. So that's where we are in history. That's where we are right now. And we're going to take up a reading from one of the well-known judges of Israel. Reading from chapter 6 and the book of Judges. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of Midian for seven years. And the, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, Midian, Midianites would come up also. Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. And then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming as numerous as the locusts, both there and their camels were without, without number, and they would enter the land and destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. You must remember when David says in the psalm, he says, I was glad when you struck me. You see, when we have difficulties in our lives, friends, many times it's of the Lord's doing. Many times it's God trying to get our attention because the consequences of not getting our attention are far worse than the affliction itself. God knows this, and this is the pattern of God, both within Israel and both within our own lives. All we like sheep have gone astray, as I said, and, and get into all forms of judgment as a result. Some leave the house of God, some leave the work and testimony of Christ, and go into that world and come out broken, marriages destroyed, bodies destroyed, minds destroyed. Terrible judgment, you know, the Midian is all over them, the Canaanites are all over them, and their lives are greatly impoverished. But thanks be to God. He has set his affection upon you and I this morning. We are still the people of God. And we thank be to God that he is the good shepherd. Can you say amen? 
So wherever you are, whatever you feel like this morning, I want you to remember one thing is constant, that the love of God is constant today. The plans of God and the purposes of God and the callings of God are without revocation. Can you say amen? God is the one that says, I'm going after you, amen. And that's why you're here today. That's why you're listening this morning. Because God loves you. He's got a plan for you. Now, verse 11, now the angel of the Lord came and said unto the tenebrae tree, which is an Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abrazite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I'm going to create that in a moment, so we're going to go back to that. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, oh, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our father told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O Lord, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Verse 22, now Gideon perceived that he was, in, he was the angel of the Lord. <clears throat> so Gideon said, alas, O Lord, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace, Jehovah Shalom. To this day it is still in the opera of the Abrazites. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of the seven-year-old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has cut, and cut down the wooden image of it beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the rock in the proper arrangement, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image that you have cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him, but because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, they did it by night. Let's leave the, the, the reading for a moment. So we have this background. There is, a, there is poverty, friends. I see Andrew's been coming up on my right. Are we good, Andy? Oh, thank you. you this is a great servant. Amen. He knows when I struggle for space. He knows all my tells as well. How long have you been serving with me, Andy? Too long? You need a break. <laughs> I don't know how he even abides me. My wife says, that man needs a medal to put up with you at length of time. But praise God. I think I need a medal to put up with him. But I you know. <laughs> Love you, brother. Thank you so much. So here we have, we have this awful oppression. Midian would come up. And it would impoverish Israel. It was a tactic of war to keep you perpetually weak. Anytime Israel would sow, the enemy would come up. He would ravage the land. He would burn everything. In many instances in the old ancient times, they would even sow salt. Bad enough, they would put rocks into the field and sow salt into the earth so that nothing would grow. So they would keep the people hungry and starving and keep them perpetually low. And as a result, it says of this happening to Israel. Israel had turned their back on God, remember. When you turn your back on God, you are easy pickings for the devil. That's all I'm going to tell you this morning. You're easy pickings for life. You know, the Bible says, woe to the man who's on his own in that day. When you walk away from the Lord and you feel like you're on your own, well, I'm telling you, you are on your own to a point. There's, there's the hand of God lifts back from you to say, okay, well, see how far you're going to get on your own. 
I talked to a young man this morning here, a very bright man, and he said, you know, I've been here a couple of years, but I really feel God's stirring my heart again, and I believe God is stirring your heart today, amen, because you can come over here from another country and, and, and know the things of God, and all of a sudden you're just led astray by the, by the, the, the twinkle town lights and, and, the, and the drinking culture and the party culture, and leave the Lord, and all you find yourself impoverished. The enemy comes in like a flood, and Israel was like that. As a result, it said, they made themselves the caves and the dens of the earth to live in. They were living like animals. This is how the people of God were, friends. This is how, how much they were reduced to, and they cried out to the Lord. Thank God this morning for his mercy. Amen. You know, none of us deserve mercy. We all deserve judgment. How many times have we, have we been like the people of Israel? How many times have we turned ourselves our back on the Lord? Yet when we cry to him, it says the Lord heard their cry. It came up before him. What a merciful God. Amen. With thee there is forgiveness. Amen. With thee there is forgiveness, the, the psalmist says. I just, the heart of God is steadfast this morning. And they cried out to the Lord, and we know the rest of the story. The, Lord, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Gideon. And, you know, Gideon has every reason not to be the hero of the moment. You know, they can throw up every excuse. And we're very good at throwing up excuses, you and I, aren't we? You know, so the Lord appears to him. And, 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 and of course, Gideon... Gideon is, you know, he's up for a bit of a fight with God, really, at the end of the day. You know, he, he's, he's, he's having a rant back to the angel of the Lord. He knows something supernatural is happening here. He knows that God is speaking to him, and yet he's ranting back. Well, you know, if God's with us, why does, has all this happened? You know, have you ever had a conversation like that with the Lord? You know, if you're with me, well, why am I going through what I'm going through? Why, why is life so difficult? Why, why, why have I lost my job? Or why is, my, why is there health issues in my life? Or why, you know, why is the enemy against me? Why do I feel so oppressed? And we can so easily go hit the Lord back with these sort of one-liners. But, you know, we all know at the end of the day, really and truly, we've all been the architect of our own downfalls, not him. And uh, it comes an honest moment, and I think, and I think with, with Gideon, he began to simmer down. He starts, first of all, saying, well, if the Lord's with us, you know, we heard all the stories about Egypt, and we heard about the deliverances of the Lord. But if you're with us, what, what about now? And the Lord said to him, you know, go in this zeal. You mighty man of valor. And actually, in fact, a better rendering in the original Hebrew from what I remember was that the Lord is with thee as a mighty man of valor. But that's why I wanted to correct that little bit of portion of Scripture. It's not a wrong rendering, but I think the rendering the Lord is with thee as a mighty man of valor is a correct rendering of the verse because there is no mighty men, friends. This is an unlikely hero. This is a man that is trying to save a few crops. He's going to harvest them inside in the wine press. A wine press is a big round vat that they used. They had a lid on top. It was, could be 12, 15 feet, 20 feet wide. They kept it like a big screw on top of it. And they squeezed it until they, the, the wine was created. And he's hiding in that. You can imagine in the sweltering heat of the Orient. And he's trying to thresh some wheat inside there to save it. Because he knows the very minute, minute the Midianites see it, they're going to come and take it and weaken him again. And it's there God confronts him. At least what I liked about this man, he wasn't laying over and dying. He was trying. He hadn't given up. Things were miserable, but he still tried, friends. And I want to tell you today, no matter how bad things go, don't give up. Fight to the very end, to the very last breath, the very last morsel of the food, if you wish. And keep on trusting and keep on believing that God come and rescue you at the right time. And God comes to him. And this conversation happens. And, and, uh, and so, you know, it's a horrible situation to be in for him. It's a horrible situation. His family are probably dying of starvation. I guarantee you he knows many uncles and aunts and family members that have succumbed to death at the hands of the, of the Canaanites and the Amorites. I'm sure he could tell you some terrible stories. 
It's the last little bit of food and they're close to starvation as a nation. Close to being annihilated. It's a very bad time in the history of Israel. The situation though can always be changed. I hope you can say amen. Because whatever you're in today, whatever situation you find yourself in today, that situation can always be changed. It can always be turned around. I want to tell you this morning, God wants, if you hear nothing else, I want you to hear that everything can be turned around. Everything can change. If God can find a man or a woman who is ready to lay everything on the altar, if God can find an honest man or woman that is ready to say yes to his plans, and he found a man in Gideon, and yet Gideon had a lot of things to overcome because he would have said, in, I paraphrase his words, what are you looking to me for? My family is the least in the families of Israel and I'm the youngest in my family. So I'm way down the pecking order. I'm way down the food chain, friend. I have no qualification. I'm barely making an existence here. And you're saying you're going to go with me like a mighty man of valor. Well, this was his argument with God. And why wouldn't he argue like that? Does he sound like anyone else here this morning? When you have conversations in your head with the Lord? When, when God, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and says all things are possible and then sitting on the other side is you with your objective view of yourself and your, your objective view of your life, I want to tell you the best view of your life is not appraised by you, it's appraised by God. That's what you have to learn. That's what you and I have to learn. When God speaks to us, are we going to believe his word? Are we going to trust in his word? Regardless of the outside circumstances around us. And this man has these conversations with the Lord, but the, the situation can always be turned around. Can God find one this morning, one man, one woman, that is ready to lay it all on the altar? A man that does not back down under pressure or lays down when the first bullet is fired. Many verbalize a commitment, but it's only words. I remember as a youngster, you know, you play these sort of turf war gangs in our neighborhoods. There were nothing. They were like throwing a few sods at each other and running away or throwing an egg or two. It was never, it was never real violence. But when you're eight, seven, eight, nine, and ten, you think they're going to skin you alive. But I remember with me and my little gang, of course, and we we're going to go up against another gang around the corner. And we're loaded with sods because the whole idea was to get them so dirty that their moms would give them a beating when they got home, okay? That was the end. That was our turf wars. We came from good middle class backgrounds. We didn't really do any damage. But I remember going up against the gang, six or seven behind me, you know. But they turned up with 10 or 11 behind them. And I looked and all of a sudden, all oh, my guys are gone the other direction on my own. Amen. See, you can verbalize a commitment. But God's looking for men and women and said, no, not only will I verbalize, I believe in the fight. I believe in your word. I'm standing. I'm going to stand in this great competition. And this was this man, the most unlikely hero for Israel. No pedigree. He's absolutely correct. He's from the smallest tribe and the youngest person there. Nobody's going to listen to him. He doesn't have the criteria. It doesn't matter if you don't have the criteria. What matters is if you have the Lord, friends. Nothing emboldens a man more than to know that he stands for what's right. And that's what gives a man or woman conviction, to stand in the truth of God's word. And that's what God wants from you and from I at this very hour that we're living in. To return again. Oh, what you know and I know we can see our society, we can see our world. We are completely overrun by the Canaanites and the Amorites and every other parasite out there, friends. This world has fallen into utter darkness. It's a time for the church of Jesus Christ to get out of the wine press, 
Maybe put away the wine, friends, in Jesus' name, amen. And get out there and start to stand again in the glory and in the truth of God's word and take a stand for him. Because that's all God ever needed was one man, one woman, and an entire nation could be turned around. God found such a man in Gideon. It's not amazing people who God calls, although to us it seems that they're amazing. But what's amazing is the people that he calls are not amazing. God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God takes a couple of old ladies praying up in the Hebrides in Scotland. Nobody, insignificant women. They can barely move around. They're elderly. They're old. They've lived their lives and he calls them to pray. You know, nobody sees them. Nobody knows what's going on. But there's a shaking going on in the heavens as they breach God and storm God. That would eventually meet with a visitation of the Holy Spirit into the Scottish Highlands and the Hebrides. That would bring a revival on and Duncan Campbell and the great faith, faith movement that happened from there. Faith mission movement that happened saw the move of God. The Evan Roberts of this world. The Welshmen that really did, people say they're not great preachers. Yet got hold of God or God got hold of them friends. And when the nation was so backslidden and so drunk on, 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 on grog and high spirits, God moved upon these men, moved upon the soul of the church. And God wants to do it again because he doesn't like to see his children in bondage. It breaks the heart of God, friends, not just for the church. The heart of God is weeping for this world. The heart of God is broken for the people of this world. God still loves every man, woman, and child. And what an awful pain it must be to the heart of God, knowing the victory of Calvary, and yet seeing so many disillusioned and so many broken and darkened lives. You can kind of say, well, it's okay with me. I'm okay, Jack. Well, you're never going to be the man or woman that God's going to use. But maybe this morning you're a Gideon. You're frustrated. I have enough of it. I'm fed up of it, but yet the word of the Lord comes to you. And of course, Gideon... He's a, man that, he, he, he's a man that is now becoming convinced of his call. The angel of the Lord talks to him, says, you're going to go in the strength of yours. He tests it out. I didn't do all the readings. He brings back some, an offering of food, and the angel of the Lord touched it and consumed it. He knew God was with him. He became convinced of his call. And the Bible says, you know, when you're convinced of your call, it will have a consequence to your life. The Bible says that every man that has this hope purified himself. Something happens to a man or woman when they get hold of the call of God. And I want to tell you this morning, that's what God wants you, every single one of you, to get hold of his calling. And when you get hold of that calling again, friends, there is a visitation to your life. And God challenged him. He said, there's things now in your life, Gideon, I want you to get right before I send you out there. You know, you can leave here half-cocked this morning, but if your life isn't compromised, the devil is going to run a horse and carriage through your testimony. He's going to come against you and put you on the seat of your pants again. And he told Gideon, he said, there's compromise in your house and in your family. You've got the effigy of Baal and you've got Asherah and you've got all these false gods. They're worshipping them in your home. I want you to go and cut them down and do an offering unto the Lord. That was a brave step for him to do. Go against the family religion. Whew. I remember back in the 1970s when my mom and dad got wonderfully born again. Oh, my word. And we had to cut down the image of Baal. And Baal represents, you know, for us Catholicism and all its errors. Oh, let me tell you, man, the backlash was something awful. My dad lost his business. People wouldn't buy or sell off him. Do you know that, friends? You pay a price when you stand for Christ. And so there he was. He, 
He was, you know, he, come on, give him a little bit of credit. He didn't want to do it in broad daylight. Probably would have never got to do it in broad daylight. He probably, first time he took a hatchet out to knock down that statue of Baal, it would have been all over him. But he took down that compromise. He took down that, that idol in his life. And I tell you right now, friends, God is saying, it's a time for you to start cutting down the idols in your life again, start cleaning up your life. It's a time to start putting your concentration back upon Christ. And he goes there and he does this incredible deed. And friends, it wasn't popular. I didn't read all. Oh, it's a long reading. But if you want to read it tonight, it's a great story. It's a great account in history of, of his life. But immediately the men of the town come. And, and what he's done is, in, in their opinion, it, 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 it's, it's so grave that it should be capital punishment. You cut down their God. You cut down their God. It sounds very pathetic, doesn't it? Amazing, isn't it? How people get bent out of shape with a, with a statue. But anyhow, and so they try, to, they try to argue with his father that this man should die. And of course, his dad loves his son, also loved the Gal Baal, but he saw something in Gideon. I've never seen my youngest do this. There's something of the Spirit of God upon him. I want to tell you, friends, this, the anointing of the Holy Spirit answers most questions. It actually answers all the questions, but it answers the most important ones. There's no arguing with the anointing. And so when he stood out and he made a stand against Baal and he sacrificed to the Lord, his father could see it. And he said, well, if Baal is upset with him, well, let Baal judge him. Let Baal come down and kill him. That's what he wants to do. Let Baal do his own dirty work. Oh, it would be great if other religions in this world would hear that about their false gods, wouldn't it? Rather than strapping bombs on their babies and putting them into different places of worship, amen, and on behalf of their God, or putting a sword in their hands to kill on behalf of their God. But anyhow, so here we have Gideon. He is now growing in his, in his purity. He's embraced his call of, as, as God's going to use him to deliver the nation. He's embraced it, friends. He said, I'm for it, God. I've taken hold of it. He's confident that God's called him. And now he starts to purify his life. And the same pattern for you and me, friends. You need to be convinced. You need to know that God's called you. And he has called you. And you need to start looking at your life. And I need to look at my life as well. And say, is there areas in my life that are compromised? Areas that are not bringing glory to God? Areas that are going to leave the enemy in? Like a flood against us. And of course he came against those areas. And he's a man that's ready to lay down his life. And of course, the story goes on. It's a long reading. The nation is totally impoverished, has no military, has no army, has no king. It's just been abused for 40 years at the whim of these Midianites. And so it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he blew the shofar or the trumpet. And 32,000 men responded from Israel. They gathered around him. 32,000 men came to his disposal. It's amazing, friends, when you have the anointing of God, the people will, will come to you. Amen. But this wasn't going to be God's way. It wasn't going to be with many that God was going to deliver him. And the story goes that the Lord said to him, there's too many. Because if you go up against Midian with 32,000, you're going to say, we delivered ourselves. It was through our own hand. So he said, go to the troops. And tell them, there's no problem. If any of you are fearful, God has told me to tell you, if you're nervous or fearful of going into battle with me today, you're to leave straight away without any, I'm putting a bit on it, but I guarantee you he had to gild it a little bit because nobody wanted to see like their chicken in front of their peers. 22,000 men left him that day. He's now down to 10,000 men. 
22,000 went home to their wives and their family. 10 are left. And even with 10, the Lord says, too many. Too many. Lest you say that you have delivered yourself. And he brings him to the water. He says, now I want you to spot every man that goes down like a dog and sucks the water up like a dog. Discount him. And only the ones that scoop it up in their hand, you keep on to those ones. And it was 300. 300 men that were left out of 32,000. I want to tell you, friends, that is a walk of faith. Amen. That's a walk of faith. You know, sometimes God has to weaken you before he can deepen you. Do you know, sometimes, friends, there's things in our lives that we rely on. That when things are looking good on the financial front, I can be so faithful to the Lord. You know, I can be buoyant in my Christian expression. I can worship better when my job is in place or my promotion is, on the, uh, is coming down the road or I've, you know, been left a lot of money or I'm feeling good about myself or something, some wondrous thing that gives you, infuses to you some sense of ability to do more than what you're really capable of. Well, sometimes God has to remove those things. In your journey as a Christian, you have to have what is called a testimony, not a theory. It's not about my right hand bringing about my own salvation or bringing about change. It's about seeing the deliverance of the Lord. And of course, this was the journey for Gideon and for the nation. This was going to be a supernatural from beginning to end victory. And so it is with you and me. In this Christian life of ours, friends, the battle belongs to the Lord. For us, it's the stripping away of our own self-importance and our own abilities. For us, it's the stripping away of our educational backgrounds and our talents. Or even people's tapping on the backs and saying, what a great boy or girl that you are. It doesn't matter what the people say. When God's called you to stand, you must stand. Amen. And whether you have a strong body or whether you have a weak body, <coughs> it matters not, friends. The word of the Lord abides forever. And so this man, he stood his ground and he had to go up against Far, far superior odds. It said the Midianites, there was no counting of their camels and their horses. They were like the locusts when they came in. There was, there was well over 120,000 of them that came in at that time to pillage and to raid in Israel. And now 300 men are called to go up against them in battle. See, God calls the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. That's not our military plan, friends. That's his military plan. Amen. My ways are above your ways. Your ways as high as the heavens are above the earth. So my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts, says the Lord. Christian, this morning, whatever you're facing in your Christian life, be encouraged today. The Lord is with you as a mighty man of valor. Hallelujah. When he called you, he equipped you. When he called you, he said, Lord, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. I won't abandon you in the battle. I won't leave you to die in the battlefield, friends. No, the Lord is with you. I will never forsake you, said the Lord. And what a promise you and I have when we carry on living this life for God. That we understand that he who started and formed within us this new life is going to bring it to completion. Can you say amen for my life? Hallelujah. Can you say, oh God, whatever I'm trusting the Lord for. Maybe it's your family. Maybe the Midianites have come in and that, yeah, it's an allegory for all the other things, friends. Darkness has come into your home. <coughs> your uncles and your aunts and your family and your extended family 
are completely and utterly under the wheel and the foot of the enemy. But God has said, I am with you as a mighty man of valor. I'm going to deepen you along the journey. I'm going to weaken you in many ways. But the excellency of the power is of God and not of us. Amen. Something's going to happen that you can say, it is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. I look at Jim McConnell. I told you about his life. 12 years old, he's an orphan. He's roaming the streets of Belfast. <coughs> Who would have thought? Probably in the, in the British Isles, one of the greatest ministers of our time, without a doubt. Who would have thought then? He's only got one pair of trousers. He's only got one pair of shoes. And they're old. He's got no money. He's got no mom. He's got no dad. He's got nobody really in his corner. And some old chipper feeds him fish and chips every day because he feels sorry for him. I want to tell you about that chipper though. That chipper is still in existence today, 84 years later. I want to tell you, they didn't realize when they sold into him and God sold into that business. It still opened these doors. A family business today still opens. One of the oldest chippers in Belfast. God's no man's debtor, amen. They sold into that little 12-year-old boy, fed him when nobody, you know, and to give away fish and chips back then. Listen, friends, we're talking 84 years ago. Money wasn't that disposable, do you understand? People didn't have income. A lot of people come to this country now, don't realize that you go back 60 years ago, all, most of the bathrooms are outdoor, outdoor loose. Many homes didn't have electricity or running water. People don't realize that. They think, oh, Ireland, was, we went into explosive growth from the 60s onwards, but in the 40s and 50s and 30s, friends, it was a very different country. It was a very sickly country. People were dying from polio, tuber polio and tuberculosis and TB, uh, tuberculosis, TB, it's the same thing. And that's the world that we were in. And yet God had someone to feed Jim McConnell, an unlikely hero, in a wine press somewhere, when Belfast was under such darkness. God had took a man, hallelujah, the least, and he's a least, he's a little man, he was a slight man, he wasn't a tall man. He was a little terrier, but he wasn't tall. God infused into him, I'm with you, Jim, as a mighty man of valor. I'm the smallest. I have nobody in my corner. I don't even have a family. I don't even have a formal education. But it pleased the Father to reveal his son in me. And what God has done in him and in Gideon and others, God wants to do and will do through you. This is the whole idea of letting your light so shine, friends. And standing in the fight and taking up your place in the rampart. And Gideon had to do this. And in his journey, as we our journey... God is going to have to strip away some of the ego and some of the things that we rely on and some of the things that we fall back on. This has been one of the great, one of the hardest parts of my journey as a minister. Things that I fell back on, things that I looked upon as being in my corner and a bedrock and a help and a support. All of a sudden, the rug was torn up from under my feet. Many of you know the story. I won't go into it and harp on about it this morning, but there was many securities that were gone, taken from me. Everything, friends, you, you, you play your last card in the natural, but then that's where God turns up. Hallelujah. You've tried everything. You tried to play it your way. You tried to outwit the enemy. 
You try to sneak a little bit of food into your house, try to get by, sneak a little bit of saving into the credit union, only to find out that, you know, the dirt tax is taking half of it from you or whatever it might be. You think you're going to win something along the journey, only to find out, oh, no, no. Listen, this COVID business, you wait till they start dipping into your pocket to pay for it in a few years' time. So you might think there's money in the bank now, but I want to tell you there's no certainties in life except debt and taxes and the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. This key to it, the secret to life, is the plan of God for us, is yes and amen. The calling of God is yes and amen. I don't care if you're hiding right now, Christian, come out from your wine press, embrace the call of God in your life, purify your house, get rid of Baal out of that, get rid of those images, those effigies, get rid of them, friends, burn them down, start sacrificing to the Lord, the little bit that you have, give your tithe with joy, be a generous Christian, amen. Put yourself out there. God will bring men and women to you and you're going to have to say, no, thank you. This is, work. this is a walk I have to do on my own. Amen. And of course, that's the journey of every Christian. God weakens you to deepen you. And I pray that you can have the courage to pray for that. Lord, weaken me to deepen me. I pray you will have, and I will have the true courage to ask him to do that because I want to tell you, I don't want to be shallow. I just don't want to be shallow. I just don't want to have an argument and have no experience of him. I'd rather go down like Jim McConnell, fighting the whole way, amen. Uh, it, life for Jim was never easy. It was a fight from beginning to end. And it was the same with Gideon. And every man of God you've ever read, every hero of the Bible, friends, every one of them, you can read the glory moments, but there were some tough, tough times when they were abandoned. Nobody cared for them. Nobody thought about them. You think of the Apostle Paul and giving us two-thirds of the New Testament, incredible new covenant coming through his teaching, and abandoned and left in a Roman cell where everybody had left him by a handful of people. We don't think about those times. We don't think about a day and a night in the open sea. We don't think about the lashing and the whip across his back. We don't think about the imprisonment, the beatings, stoned to death, friends, chased from city to city, who sleeping with one eye open, fears without and fightings within. Leaving sick brethren behind on the mission field and moving on. Friends, we don't see that, but I want to tell you, we read about them today and we hear about them. Why? Because God deepened them to give them a real testimony. May God inspire you today because the story of Gideon is a story of God's deliverance, friends. He went, they went up against a vastly, vastly superior force and they didn't have any military plan except God told them to plan. I love it because Gideon has his little moments of doubt. Again, the reading is for your reading tonight. He had to go to the Lord at one stage and say, God, are you really going to deliver this nation through me? Have you ever felt like that? He said, if you are God, I need a sign. And it's called Gideon's fleece. And he puts the fleece out and he said, Lord, if I'm going to put this fleece out into a piece of wool, a fleece of wool into this threshing floor. And in the morning, if the floor is dry, there's no dew on the earth anywhere and the fleece is wet, I'll know that you're going to deliver this nation through me. And of course, God did it. And then he came back to the Lord. I'm sure he's kind of going, <clears throat> do you mind if you do it one more time? This time, will you do it different? This time, let there be dew everywhere and let the fleece be dry. And of course, that's what the Lord did. And he knew in his heart, God was going to give him victory. He knew God was going to give him victory. Then he strips him from 32,000 down to 300. Man, you need to have confidence, don't you? Because that was the very next step after the fleece. It was down from 32,000 to 300, friends. But it didn't matter to him. 
Because he had the word of the Lord. I want to tell you, friends, there's nothing in boldness of man or a woman more than knowing that they stand for what's right. And whether one go with me or a thousand goes with me, it doesn't matter. I will follow because God has called me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Hallelujah. To give sight unto the blind, friends. To declare the acceptable year of the Lord. And so Gideon went out in that spirit all the way. And they went up against this superior force with 300 and breaking into three companies of 100 each. It's an epic story, of course. It's a story how confusion was sown into this huge army of Midian. God told him to take a, a pottery clay, a, a pot of pottery, and put inside it a torch and hide the torch. And then go up into three columns. And then at the right moment, at the signal of the Lord, you had to break the clay pot, take out that torch, blow the shofar or the trumpet, and shout the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. I mean, what a plan. You know? <laughs> I mean, what a plan. You're going to run into the camp of 120,000 Midianites that would think of nothing of filleting you, you know, slowly for a whole week and leaving you rot in the sun. And you're going to run in and that's your game plan. But that was their game plan, friends. They went up in the middle of the night. They knew God was with them. God had given them a word. The word had even come through the Midianites themselves that God was going to do it. They were fearing. Some fear came upon them. And they went up to the three positions. And at the right moment, Gideon gives the signal. And they all open, burst that clay jar, take out the burning torch. They blow the shofar. 300 lights appear out of nowhere. 300 shofars are blowing. They're pretty loud, let me tell you. Shofars are pretty loud, but trumpet when you blow it correctly. And the confusion that hit the Midianites caused them to turn sword upon sword. Man against man. They butchered their own friends for a whole day and a night. And they fled. And God gave the deliverance. To Gideon. He had to deepen him though. Through weakening him. And I want to tell you that the ways of God. Don't change friends. The strategy of God doesn't change. A man must believe. A man must confess. With his mouth unto salvation. And believe in his heart. Unto justification. And that's what God would have for you. And I today. To confess. And to believe. Confess the name of Jesus and believe the plan. And that's what, that's what Gideon did. Gideon moved in that spirit, friends. And so that's what God would have for you. Midian has come. And he has destroyed your families. He has perpetually weakened your home. He has scorched earth and laid a famine at your feet. A famine for the word of God. A famine for the presence of God. A famine of the things of God. And now God says to you, Gideon. I'm with you, you mighty man of valor, as a mighty man of valor. Go in the spirit, go in the strength, whatever that means for you in your world. Maybe some here this morning, it is your immediate family that it is scorched earth. The devil has run a horse and carriage over your family, your marriage, your extended family, your friendships. Maybe you're broken from the country of your birth when you look over there. I have some South Africans here in the church and they're broken for their country. It's ripping itself apart. Horrible. Ethnicity rising up against it. It's not just black and white now, friends. It's, 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 just, it's just tribalism gone crazy. Pillaging and looting and murdering. It's barbaric. There's no sanity to it. And some hear your burden for it. And maybe God's going to bring you to that place of prayer where all of a sudden he's going to take you into a Gideon place where you're going to start to rise up in the anointing of God and begin to blow the shofar in the place of prayer. And God would answer with miracles from heaven. 
There will be an interjection of the grace of God upon that great land. Others here from different parts of the world. What about our own country? So backsidden, so far from God, so non-Christian, so pagan, so far from God. Men and women just falling off the cliff into a lost eternity. The devil has kept them perpetually weak, friends. And can we just stay in our houses, just thresh our own wheat and look after our own family? God forbid. May God touch your heart. May God touch my heart. May we rise above, Lord, mediocrity as Christians and self-centeredness. And may we go like this man, purify your life. Live right. Don't live wrong. Don't let excessive grace thinking, thinking that you're not going to hurt yourself or your family and your society by living in sin. Let me tell you, what, that's what Israel did. That's what Israel did, and it led them into terrible bondage. Rise up, clean your home, clean your life, and hold on to the word of God. And sound that gospel trumpet wherever God calls you. And stand and see the deliverance of the Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? Because we're going to pray for our nation of Ireland. We're also going to pray for South Africa this morning. We're going to pray for the nations of the world. And I need you to stay just for one more minute to raise your hands to the Lord and join with me in prayer. Because God's called you. And this is God's plan. Oh, I'm the weakest. I'm the youngest. I have no pedigree. I have no education. But it pleased the Father to use men and women like you. Will you be willing in the day of his power? Will you be willing as a Christian this morning to say, I am putting everything in this morning to Christ. I'm going to go out from Cork Church or wherever you are. And I'm cutting down Baal and Asherah out of my life. I'm going to get those nonsenses out of my life. They're not coming into my home anymore. That might mean disconnecting the internet. That means might be your last time seeing Pastor Nick online. Who cares? If you have to cut that out, cut that out too. That's okay. Whatever it is, whatever vice that's holding you back, and cut down the groves of trees, cut down the Asherah poles, cut down the Baal images, and then go out in that zeal and see what God won't do with a man that has sanctified his life unto the Lord. Hallelujah. So any sanctified life is going to be used, friends. Let's close our eyes for a moment. Lift your hands and ask the Lord to touch you this morning. Ask him to touch your home. Ask him to touch your husband or your wife, your children. Ask him to to really infuse into you power to live for him, a desire for him. Ask him. If you ask, he'll do it. He won't hold it back. You have to ask God of an honesty. Say, oh God, could could it be me? Could I be the the runt of the family that would bring that I would be the one that would usher in household salvation for my family. Could it be me, Lord? Yes, it is you. It is you. And as you're praying for yourself, pray for our nation here in Ireland, our city of Cork. Broken lives. And Midian has come and destroyed. The Canaanites have come. They've surrounded our families. Darkness is everywhere. God needs a man or woman that's going to blow that shofar, that spiritual shofar. And call the nation to pray. Think of South Africa today and the thousands that are dying there needlessly. And other war-torn parts of the world. Syria, the conflict there. Take north of Nigeria with the Boko Haram still wrecking havoc upon the poor souls there. Oh, Jesus. Al-Shabaab in northern Mozambique. 
they're burning people out Shabbat, Shabbat. They spent 16 years with Wick. It's there to their hearts. These are men, they would know dear friends there. And men and women are losing their lives, friends. And many are going to lost eternity in this Al Shabbat butchering people. The tensions, the division that the enemies try to sow among the people of God. Let's just pray that God, you would rise up a Gideon moment again. A rising up, a rising up of the people of God. An embracing of the call, a purifying of your life. A laying it all in the altar. And then blowing that shofar and going out with the word of the Lord in your mouth. And a two-edged sword in your hand. Amen. For the, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray, Lord, for each and every one of us, God. I pray for myself most of all, Lord. God, sometimes I feel so inept. I feel, Lord, I, I feel worse than Gideon. I feel even lower than him. But I pray, God, right now, Lord, I've laid on the altar again. We all put our lives on the altar. And Lord, with this hope, we purify ourselves, God. By your grace and your power, Lord God, we come, Lord Jesus, and say, afresh, Lord, we give our lives to you. Afresh, Lord, we say, Lord, we're laying it down. Afresh, Lord, we're coming back to that Calvary spirit, Lord. We're coming back to that, Lord, denying self, Lord, embracing the cross. Oh, Jesus, you did it with Gideon, and you turned the nation back, oh God. And Lord, empty bellies were full again, oh God. Broken hearts were mended, Lord. Families were reunited. Because Gideon went and blew that shofar and embraced the call. Oh, hallelujah, Lord God. Peace reigned for 40 years, Lord, a whole generation. The children, Lord, lived and died without being butchered in their beds, Lord, or worried about how they were going to eat the next day. Because this man, Lord, intervened, Lord, and stood. And I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, you have many Gideons in this room, Lord. Many Gideons watching today, Lord. Raise them up, Father, I pray. Let them, Lord, cause them to go further than they ever have before. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for salvation. I thank you that, Lord, all power has been given to you in heaven and on earth, Lord. And you have commissioned your people to go into all this world and make disciples, Lord. And baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, may we fulfill that commission, I pray, with an excellent spirit and a a heart full of faith. In Jesus' precious name. Hallelujah. God's called you. You are the first and only plan. You're the only plan. There's no plan B. As soon as you begin to agree with it and, and cop yourself on and, and accept it, then we can get on with the business of conquering for Jesus. Amen. So I pray in the name of Jesus that you just right now in your head say, this is it. There's no other plan. There's no other light. There's no other way. There's no other gospel. Stop looking for some super saint to come in and take your job. Embrace your job. Be God's Gideon. Go in the spirit of God this morning and preach Christ wherever you can, whenever you can, however you can, for as long as you can. And may you go home like Jim McConnell one day, maybe 84, saying, I've run the race, I've fought the fight, I've kept the faith. May it be said of you. May it be said of me. In Jesus' precious name. Let's give him praise this morning as we leave Court Church today, friends. I commission you and I commend you to go in the strength of the Lord and go in the victory of Christ today. And don't let anything stop you. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.